As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to a Thanksgiving week edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic, coming at you from within sight of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm out of the Outer Banks uh, with family on Thanksgiving because I have a rare weekend off on Thanksgiving. I think I've covered college football for as long as I can remember, uh, so this is kind of enjoyable. Uh, having a week off like this. We're being very safe in this whole thing, so don't get on my case about that. Uh, but yeah, taking a little uh, time off that I think was well needed after how this season has gone uh, for the team I cover. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, we appreciate all your reviews, uh, ratings like that. It helps us get the word out, so continue to do so. Give us some good reviews. Uh, we'll put that out there. People can can hear about it and then maybe come give the podcast a try. Uh, we're going to talk to Brendan Marks. Brendan uh, is our UNC and Duke basketball writer. He also dabbles in football. Obviously, North Carolina plays a pretty big game this week uh, against Notre Dame. We're going to start with that, but we're also going to touch on some ACC basketball because, believe it or not, the basketball season is upon us. Uh, it snuck up on us. Uh, you know, was all paying attention to football and everything like that, and all of a sudden, basketball starting this week. Uh, tonight, actually, I believe. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, so the games are starting. We'll see how that goes. I don't have high hopes for the season going off without a hitch, but uh, it looks like they're going to try to do what they can there. So Brendan uh, is going to give us all sorts of good insight on, on North Carolina football and, and uh, sort of the ACC in general and basketball as well. Before we get to them, though, I want to talk about the initial college football playoff rankings. They came out last night. The ACC has two teams in the top four, which I think everybody kind of saw coming uh, the way this season was developing. Number one is Alabama because Alabama is always number one when these things come out. Notre Dame, number two, uh, deservedly so after beating Clemson. Clemson, number three, right behind them, and Ohio State is fourth. Uh, Ohio State has not lost like Clemson has yet, but Ohio State has also not played that many games, so that's not too surprising uh, that it's like that. But I I think when you see these rankings, uh, there's a pretty easy way to see how the ACC could get two teams in the top four 
uh, by the end of the year. Uh, you know, Notre Dame way up there, uh, looking good. Uh, not too many landmines left on the season. I think it's a, a, a schedule that they can navigate pretty well and uh, can win out in the regular season. If they do that, you know, they get to the championship game where they're playing a team that they've already beaten. So it's possible they could, you know, even if they lose that uh, a tight game, they could still get in the playoff just based on how good their win was against Clemson before. Clemson, uh, if it wins out and wins the ACC championship, you're talking about an ACC champ with one loss. I think they easily get into that situation. But the two teams from the ACC getting in, I think it's becoming more and more real. Uh, let, let's play that out. What would have to happen uh, in order for Notre Dame and Clemson to get in? I think Clemson would have to win the ACC championship. Uh, be a eleven and one non ACC champ. Notre Dame would also be eleven and one, a non champion in that situation. I, sh- I should say Clemson was the champion there. Uh, Notre Dame would be eleven and one, a non champion. Let's look at the other teams though. Alabama is cruising. I, I would expect them to to win out and be in. Ohio State is probably going to get in, uh, even with how few games that they play. I think they'll be unbeaten. Uh, looking like probably going to play Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. I think they will handle that one. And if that's the case, they're in as well. Who would be the other teams that could challenge an eleven-one non-champion Notre Dame in that case? You got Texas A&M at number five, five and one. Uh, they could easily win out. They beat Florida 41-38. to Florida is number six in these rankings, so that's a very good win. Uh, lost to Alabama 52-24. to uh, Would not be having the opportunity to play in uh, a title game in this scenario, so they wouldn't have that sort of final uh, audition, so to speak, for the committee. It's kind of tough for a team like that to jump another team like Notre Dame that played in that game if that would be its only loss. And also, uh, Notre Dame would have a better win uh, than Texas A&M in that situation, having beaten one of the four teams in the playoff field. So I don't see Texas A&M jumping Notre Dame in that situation. Florida is 6-1 and one right now, ranked number six in the, in the college football playoff rankings. Um, to get in, I feel like they would have to beat Alabama in the SEC title game. If they don't, they'd have two losses, having already lost to Texas A&M, so that would be disqualifying at that point uh, if they beat Alabama in the SEC title game then yeah they're getting in and then it becomes a conversation between Alabama and Notre Dame and uh, honestly I probably like Alabama in that situation I think the committee always looks a little bit more favorably on the Crimson Tide but uh, that would require Florida to beat Alabama and I honestly I don't think that's happening so that's another team that probably not going to get into the playoff barring a, a pretty good victory at the end of the year and number seven in this whole deal is Cincinnati at eight now and I know uh, the Bearcats are a very good team and a very good story but I, honestly this the, the committee does not seem to give a lot of respect to these non-power five teams and, and you know you look at the schedule that the Bearcats play I can kind of see why that's the case and this year they don't have that uh, game against the Power 5 team at the beginning of the year that you can point to and say, see, if they were in a Power 5 conference, uh, they would be winning like this. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance that you could have two ACC teams in this uh, playoff at the end of the year. It's going to require Notre Dame to play Clemson tough again. But, you know, seeing how that, that first result happened and, you know, Clemson gets Trevor Lawrence back, so that's going to make things more difficult. But it's not like Clemson didn't throw for yards in that first game. Uh, so I, I think there's a path for Notre Dame to keep that competitive. You know, I think they could win it outright again and then take, uh, you know, the whole thing out of the equation. In that case, Clemson wouldn't be in the playoff. But if Clemson wins, I think Notre Dame could get in.
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, let's welcome Brendan Marks to the show. Brendan covers North Carolina and Duke basketball for The Athletic. He also jumps in and does some football uh, with North Carolina being pretty interesting this fall. He has definitely done this. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. I think North Carolina is interesting. is a, a perfect way to describe them. <laughs> Before we started, I saw one thing in your Twitter bio. It says, airplane jumper outer. Is that serious? You've done that? It is. I, I have done so three times. Uh, the first time I did so was probably my favorite. I jumped um, right over the border. I was in San Diego and jumped from Mexico back over into San Diego. Um, have since done it in South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, haven't done so in a while, but yeah, definitely something that I would recommend to everyone if uh, if your heart can stand it. The going up is the scariest part. I, I, maybe, I think the coming down would also be pretty scary. I don't know if I necessarily want to find that out. Uh, pretty big game, uh, this week, Notre Dame, uh, number two at number 19, North Carolina, uh, on black Friday. I'm hoping everything goes off without a hitch. Cause I really want to watch that game on black Friday. Uh, I say number 19, North Carolina, because that is where they are in the college football playoff rankings. They're a little bit lower in the polls, 25th and 23rd. Uh, that's kind of an interesting little disparity between the two. What, what do you make of that? Why do you think the, the committee thinks a little bit more highly of the Tar Heels than uh, the pollsters do? Yeah, I was, I was a little bit surprised to see that discrepancy myself. You know, I think uh, just looking at the polls, obviously North Carolina's two losses are calling them bad would not be doing the, the quality of those losses justice. I mean, uh, losing to Florida State at home and, and in such a, a sorry fashion. I mean, going down as badly as they did at the – at halftime and having to sort of work their ways back. Um, and then Virginia, you know, a better team, but still not much. So I think the committee and the pollsters see those two losses and, and really count those as black eyes. Whereas, you know, in, in the ranks in the college football playoff rankings, you're talking about the the best that this team can be. And obviously that's related to the offense. Um, one of the best offenses of the country. I think they're fourth in the, in the country in terms of total offense. And um, you know, when you talk about that in the, in the spectrum of the college football playoff rankings, I think, you're saying, okay, this is a team that, yes, they have these bad losses, but but in terms of potential and what they could do on any given week, um, the ceiling is maybe a little bit higher than it would be when you factor in those those two bad defeats. It sounds like you're telling me the ceiling is the roof with this team. Of course. If you're just <laughs> itching to say that there, I think you have to bring that up whenever UNC is mentioned. Uh, yeah, this is a tough team to figure out. I, I can't really fault the committee for wherever they put them with this because I just don't know. How can this team look so good one week and Sam Howell – accounts for 571 yards and seven <laughs> touchdowns and then yet can lose to Florida State. Like I'll, I'll give yeah. I'll even give them a pass on UVA cuz I think UVA is a feisty team. Uh you know, they had Charles Snowden at that time was playing really well. Right. He's since been injured and is out for the year. Uh you know, Brennan Armstrong I think is better than people give him credit for. Uh but man, Florida State that is one to just really difficult to explain away cuz they look so good against Virginia Tech uh right. the, the previous week. Uh, I didn't pay too close attention to that game because I, I think I was covering another one at the same time. Uh, is there a way to explain that or just sort of this team's erraticness from week to week? 
Yeah. And you mentioned the week to week. I mean, I, I'd say they're erratic from half to half. I mean, there are times that, you know, again, the Florida State game is a perfect example. They get down so dramatically in the first half. Sam Howell throws a pick six, which, you know, he, the guy throws maybe five interceptions all season long. So to do that against that defense um, and, and Florida State in that game was without Terry, you know, and obviously he is no longer with the program. But, you know, this is not like this was the full cupboard. Jordan Tavis had just taken over his quarterback down there. So um, I, I think one thing that people forget as it relates to North Carolina is two years ago, this team was a joke. You know, they, they were a laughing stock. With Larry Fedora, those last two years, you know, they're consistently, there was no hope around the program. You know, there was complete apathy. And, and I think when he sort of lost that, that was sort of the end of the time for Larry Fedora. So, so Mac Brown really had to sort of build back from scratch. And having Sam Howell sort of expedites that and it puts UNC in the national conversation because the offense is so dynamic. It's so scintillating. Like it's, it's impossible not to enjoy watching Sam Howell play quarterback. But at the same time, this is a team that two years ago was truly in the basement of the ACC. And so while Mac has sort of sped along that timeline a little bit because of how well Sam Howell's played, overall, the depth on this team just isn't there. And so there are times when they miss a gap, they miss a single play, a coverage gets blown, and everything falls apart. And, and unfortunately, that's something I don't see changing for you know at least the next year or two. Um, but I think I'll, that really explains a lot of the erraticness. And, th and then at the same time, because this is a team that two years ago had only you know two wins, they've never been ranked number five in the country when they went down to play Florida state in prime time. And um, I think a lot of those young guys didn't necessarily handle the moment very well. I mean, Mac Brown has said as much himself explicitly. Uh, I sort of point to those as, as the reasons why there's so much flip flopping, but still it is, it is surprising every week that they can't put together a little bit more of a consistent effort. Yeah, it is strange. I, I think back to that UVA game too. I think right before halftime, they have a chance for points and they throw throw it out wide and it's actually a lateral and then they fumble and then don't end up getting any points there. Uh, that plays a pretty big role in a game that ends up being a three-point game. But on the whole, this offense is pretty good. I mean, it, may, it makes <laughs> weird decisions at times and it, it turns the ball over at times, but uh, man, under Phil Longo and this this air raid offense, Matt, our Matt Fortuna wrote a story on it this week. Uh, you know, leading it off with you know Phil Longo is a high school coach in New Jersey, and he he packs up his truck and drives out to Kentucky to learn under the you know Hal Mummy and Mike Leach whatever he can at, you know at Kentucky, sort of in the early stages of of what the air raid would become. Uh, this offense is impressive. Uh, fourth nationally in total offense, 563 yards a game. Uh, fourth in yards per play, 7.7. .7. Uh, what impresses you most about this group? Because Howell is really good, and those receivers are really good, <laughs> but those running backs are really good. Like, is, right. is there one part of it that is most impressive to you? I, th I think, you know, Pete Sampson and I uh, had a story come out today. We did a, a little roundtable in advance of the game on Friday and, and sort of looking at the different storylines. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that Pete pointed out that I think people probably just from a distance don't, don't give a lot of consideration to is Sam Howell isn't built like, you know, Trevor Lawrence. You know, he's not built like this traditional quarterback. He's maybe 6'1", if we're being generous. That's, that's you know, I call myself 5'10". I'm being that generous. Uh it's the same way. You know, this is a guy who he's not overwhelming you with, with his physicality or his stature or anything like that. He just makes good decisions and plays the position the right way. And, um, you know, I think that's incredibly impressive and it's something that probably doesn't get enough notice, but, but if there's one part of this offense, that's most surprising, you, you nailed it, Andy, it's the running backs. Um, 
I think everyone knew Michael Carter was this dynamic sort of scat back. Um, you know, he's showed flashes the last couple of seasons, but Javante Williams, my God. I mean, this guy, a former three-star recruit, um, the, the legend or the lore, if you have it, was that coming into, you know, the end of his senior season, he didn't have any major division one offers. And just so happens that his team is playing the state championship game in Keenan stadium. Larry Fedora is there, sees this guy absolutely erupt and goes, yes, I would like to sign up for some of that, please. Um, and so now, you know, here we are three years later and, and Javante Williams is in the Heisman conversation. I mean, this guy leads the nation in touchdowns by a non-quarterback. Um, he is consistently breaking off yards. He's breaking tackles. I mean, I think there, there have been games this year when he has broken double-digit tackles. So um, I think in terms of the surprises on the offense, the ability to have a guy like that who's so – he's so well compliments Sam Howell and what this offense wants to do. Defenses, after seeing Howell sort of torch them last year, they all said, okay, well, we're, we're going to set back. We're going to keep everything in front of us. We're not going to let you beat us deep. And UNC responded by going, okay, well, we have this 230-pound running back who we're just going to absolutely destroy you with up front. And then when defenses push forward, UNC goes, thank you, we'll go over the top. So um, it, it's a really nice complimentary system. And I think uh, the fact that Javante Williams and Michael Carter have been so good has helped Sam Howell continue the pace he set as a freshman. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part about this offense is you hear air raid – and you instantly think of, you know, the most distilled version of, of Mike Leach's offense where you throw it 70 times a game and that's it. Uh, I think you look at Mississippi State right now, they never run the ball. Never. <laughs> There's no running backs involved. But Longo has developed an air raid system where it is a very physical rushing game in addition to those passing concepts. And I think that's, uh, you got to have some kind of balance. I mean, you can see Leach, he, he can uh, tear apart a really bad secondary, but if you put a capable defense out there and they know you're passing every down, you can come up with ways to slow that down. And it has right. happened this year. Not a lot of teams have figured out ways to slow down the Tar Heels right now. Uh, you mentioned Howell, uh, is he the ACC player of the year at this point? I mean, I know we're, we're conditioned to pick somebody from Clemson, but Trevor right. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence hasn't played in every game. And, you know, he may well come back and tear it up and then we're, we're, this conversation is moot. And uh, Travis Etienne hasn't looked like himself in some spots. And, you know, when Lawrence was out, it's not like he just took over the team and, and was outstanding. Uh, Sam Howell has kind of been that every single week for this Tar Heels team, and he's putting up insane numbers. Uh, if you had to vote today, who would be your choice? I mean, you know, you said it, not me, Andy. I mean, I think it's hard not to consider Sam Howell as, as sort of the front runner at this point. You know, when you talk about Trevor missing a couple of games and, and again, you know, everyone knows Trevor is terrific, but, but the stats aren't always as eye popping as they've been with Sam Howell. Um, the, the way I think about it is this way. If you were to take Trevor Lawrence off of Clemson, well, well, we saw that's still a team that could potentially beat a top five team in Notre Dame on the road, uh, you know, and, and this is a guy's second start. If you take Travis Etienne off of Clemson, you know, they're still going to be doing that. You take Sam Howell off North Carolina. I mean, this is what, maybe a, a two or three win team. I mean, they have great running backs, but he's the, he's the maestro, you know, he's the ringleader. He's pulling the strings, making everything go. And then when you just look at sort of the raw numbers, I mean, in his last three games against Wake Forest and Duke and Virginia, He's thrown for 13 touchdowns in the last three games. I mean, that's absurd. You know, he's averaging more than four touchdowns a game. So um, when you consider the impact he makes for this specific group, where they would be without him, the just gaudy numbers he's putting up, I think it's hard not to give him the vote. And that's pretty crazy considering some of the other talents in this uh, conference. You know, I thought Khalil Herbert had a shot, and obviously that hasn't exactly panned out the same way. But um, 
right now, yeah, Howell's probably my front runner. And if they beat Notre Dame this week, um, you know, boy, I think he's probably going to be getting a lot more conference wide recognition for that, too. Uh, yeah, Howell, just comparing him to Lawrence right now, better quarterback rating, 182 to 178. More touchdowns, obviously, he's played more games, but 23 to 17. More passing yards per game, 328 to 305. Better yards per attempt, 10.6 to 9.6. And like I said, I think Trevor Lawrence comes back with a vengeance in these last couple games. And, uh, you know, I kind of pity uh, Pitt and Virginia Tech. And if it comes to it, Florida State, oh, good gracious. Oh, I my God. I would love to see that game. <laughs> I don't know what he would do to Florida State at this point after the fiasco last week. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Lawrence could come back and still win this thing. But I, he won't have that or likely won't have that, uh, you know, extra bump by, hey, they won the regular season because I think Notre Dame is still going to win this thing. But right. the elephant in the room with uh, North Carolina is this defense um gave up 53 points to Wake Forest the last time out uh can you win with this defense I mean I know the offense is outstanding and uh you can outscore anybody but you got to be able to stop some people at some point certainly going into a game like this against Notre Dame is this defense good enough uh to step up to the challenge questionable at best. You know, I, I really have a hard time seeing, and that's the thing, you know, you talk, this team can outscore anyone. That's great. Hang half a hundred, you know, Mac Brown said we can do that. Everyone knows that that's great. But if you're allowing 53 points, I mean, this is a team that's allowed 40 points three times already this year. Like you said, they just allow over 50 to a Wake Forest team. That's fine, but not, you know, amazing or spectacular or anything. So um, the, the problem with the defense is they've had so much transition and turnover in the secondary. You know, before the start of the year, they had three guys opt out in the secondary. After the season opener, their veteran safety, Miles Wolfolk, is declared academically ineligible, so they lose him. Then their number one corner, Storm Duck, has a lower body injury, and he's been out for, you know, the past five games or so. That obviously hurts. Um, they're starting nickel, Jaquarius Conley. He goes out and misses a game. Kyler McMichael misses time. You know, th they have constantly just been piecing together the secondary on the fly to the point where against Wake Forest, Tony Grimes, who obviously was their five-star sort of uh, most most high-profile recruit out of Virginia, the cornerback, um, he, he's a guy who should be a high school senior, and he was playing significant fourth-quarter minutes in the game that they were trying to come back and win. So not ideal. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like there, there are reasons to think that things are, are going to be okay, and I think you look at that Wake Forest game sort of as a blueprint. You know, this is a team that – is not stopping anything the first half, nothing whatsoever. Can't get off the field on third down. They're just letting drives stretch on 10, 7, you know, 11 plays long. And then in the second half, they're still allowing that yardage, but really clamping down on third down, you know, playing much more man. Jay Bateman has to get much more creative with some of his pressures, trying to get to Sam Hartman. You know, Sam Hartman doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, but they were able to get the stops that they needed. This is not a team that's going to hold anyone under, you know, 21 points a game. Um, Basically, if you're playing UNC, you've got a 21-point cushion. You're going to get spotted that because this defense isn't going to be able to stop you. I look at it more as in the fourth quarter when UNC is trying to inevitably make these comebacks, when Sam Howell is playing at his best. And I think um, there's a stat out there that, that Howell has thrown for more touchdowns and more yards and has been basically as efficient a passer in the fourth quarter of the last two seasons as anyone in the country. That's when you need the defense to be able to make stops. So um, one big thing I'm watching for this week, just specifically is storm duck. Like I mentioned that number one corner, he's back practicing and there's a chance he plays against Notre Dame. And if he does, that's a, that's a huge change because it allows everybody else on the depth chart to, to settle into a more natural role. And um, I, I think that will hopefully ease some of the transition in the secondary, but um, yeah, it, 
can you get enough stops? They're not going to get any, but can you get enough? Can you get two? Can you get three in the fourth quarter? I think it's possible, not likely. Um, Ian Book, I, I think, is going to have a, a pretty productive day on Friday. Storm Duck is probably a top five name in college oh, football yeah. right now. I mean, it, it's way up there. I, I think of that as think of like a duck that's a stormtrooper from Star Wars all, or something like that. I mean, it's a, a pretty easy thought. To have. <laughs> First team All American name team. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this Notre Dame game. Notre Dame is a five-point favorite. Uh, the last I looked at it, uh, you know, I'm is, surprised at that. This is. Did you think it'd be higher? I did. I thought it'd be higher. You know, just because you know the secondary and the defense overall, they've they've really struggled. You know, five points. Um, I think that's that's giving a lot of credit to UNC's defense. When you look at the the matchup of the three units on the field, like I would say the best unit is probably. Notre Dame's defense, then North Carolina's offense in a very close tie, then Notre Dame's offense, and then a chasm of a gap down to North Carolina's defense. So I, I am a little bit surprised it's only five. Yeah, so it, I look at the Irish and I go, this is a team that can stop the run. Obviously, they, they shut down Clemson in that game. Uh, probably committed a lot to it to do that because so much was open in the passing game, and I don't think maybe you can quite have that approach against a team like North Carolina that can make you pay even more possibly than what Clemson did. Uh, you know, Ian Book is an interesting quarterback for Notre Dame. He doesn't he doesn't just like wow you, but man, he's been playing well this year. Like eleven touchdowns, hasn't had an interception since the opener. Uh, he can move better than people think. At eighty five rushing yards and a touchdown against Boston College. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Do you have, do you have a prediction? Do you have a gut feeling which way it could go? Yeah, I I think Notre Dame wins, but but I do think that it probably is going to be a closer, higher scoring game than you would anticipate, given Notre Dame's you know how how insane their defense is. You know, you would think that uh, they'd be able to build a little bit of a cushion, but you know, I could see this one being. I think my prediction with with Pete and our story today was like forty one thirty eight. Um, you know, forty one thirty five in that range. I mean, UNC is going to score some points. You know, I think. Uh, Notre Dame's, if there is a weakness on that defense, it's in the secondary. Um, and so I think that between the combination of how UNC skill position players, um, how often they like to throw the deep ball, I think there's a chance that they hit one or two of those, um, especially playing at home. I mean, I wouldn't discount that as not being a factor. I think that ultimately the deciding sort of pivotal player in this game is going to be Ian Book. You know, you saw firsthand how much this defense struggled to contain Hooker and Burmeister. They, they just do not respond well with mobile quarterbacks. And I'm not saying that Ian Book has to rush for 100 yards like, you know, Jordan Travis did. But if he can avoid pressure on third down, create some plays, extend some of those drives, exhaust this defense a little bit more, and I think that he will, um, I could very much see that being the deciding factor in what's going to be a high-scoring game. As a casual viewer of this game, let me hope that it turns out to be 41 to 38, 35 <laughs> to 38. I just want to see a high-scoring, entertaining game. I think everybody would be satisfied with that. Let's talk a little basketball. Uh, yeah. you, you cover hoops. Uh, this is an ACC podcast, and hoops is very important in the ACC footprint. I have to admit I'm a little rusty. I'm a little out of practice when it comes to basketball. I have not covered ACC basketball full-time since 2008. Wow. Uh, back when I was covering Virginia for the Lynchburg News in Advance. I do have a claim to fame in ACC basketball tournament history, though. Ooh. Uh, the 2008 ACC basketball tournament. I, I mean, you're a young guy. You must have been, like, really young at that point, so I don't even know if you remember this. <laughs> but uh, I was covering Virginia at the tournament. 
uh, I was still sticking around. Virginia, I think, had been eliminated at that point. It was North Carolina, Virginia Tech in the semifinals. Uh, this is taking place in Charlotte that year. Okay. And that's the Hansborough year. That's the year that right. they win the national title. And Virginia Tech was pretty good. Like, right on the bubbles, they always were with Seth Greenberg. Like, always right there. Consistently. <laughs> need, need, needed to win that game. I, I'm not sure if North Carolina was number one, but they were way up there. They were one of the favorites in the, in the, the tournament. Uh, needed to win that game. Uh it's really tight right before halftime, and Virginia Tech turns it over. North Carolina's going down for a layup, and A.D. Vasayo for Virginia Tech comes up and, and tries to, to uh, you know, make a play on the ball. Uh, they, they don't get the basket, North Carolina, but they do they, – refs whistle foul. And A.D. does not believe that he fouled this guy. But instead of, like, complaining to the officials, he just does, like, this speed walk over to the, the media row. And <laughs> – for some reason, like I didn't cover Virginia Tech, and he didn't know me. He was actually from the area in Lynchburg that I, I covered, but okay. I, don't think he, I don't think he knew me or anything. But he comes over, like speed walks over, uh, doesn't say anything, leans over, picks up my pen, and and writes on my notepad, "AD not foul," and then, <laughs> and then he put it back and he walked back on the court like nothing ever happened. <laughs> That is amazing. That, I absolutely love that. I, I have lost – I'm sad to say – well, we asked him after – everybody asked him afterwards, like, why? what did you do that for? Like, that was strange. And right. Like, you know, I was upset about the foul, and I didn't want to say anything to the officials, so I just went over there, and I wrote that to let them know that I didn't uh, didn't foul that guy. So that, that was a very bizarre moment. Like, And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what just happened? And right. Like, like, I think Stacey Dales was doing the halftime, like, uh, on-court reporter. She, like, came over at halftime. I was like, what the heck did he write? What did he Right, yeah. So, uh, that was my that's my claim to fame in ACC basketball tournament history. I think I've lost that notepad. I've moved like six or seven times since then, and I'm sure that's, I got lost in one of those moves. But man, I kind of wish I still had that that notepad. That's that very I, unfortunate. I I'm I'm sorry that you don't have that. That that should be framed somewhere. I, well, <laughs> I could probably sell it. I'm sure there's some fan that would play a ridiculous amount of money for something that dumb. Oh, uh, absolutely. ACC history. Uh, I guess, I guess before we start, uh, there was some news this week. They moved the ACC tournament from green, uh, DC to Greensboro. Uh, I guess he kind of had to do that given the situation. And I know Greensboro kind of missed out on the tournament last year. What do you think of that whole move? Yeah, I, I think you basically had to do it. You know, Greensboro, um, obviously the ACC headquarters are there. That's somewhere that is so important to the conference and its history. And last year, you know, or I guess this spring, it feels like it's been 85 years, uh, it was such a big deal for the tournament to be back in Greensboro, you know, that city getting its moment to shine, you know, sort of shining some light on the the history of the conference and some of the storied players and coaches and teams that have come through. So um, I really like it. You know, I think there's always going to be opportunities, you know, when this thing comes to Greensboro, it's the biggest, it's the biggest show in town. Everyone is preparing for it for days and weeks leading up to it. You know, it's a massive event. Whereas um, in, in the span of everything that's going on in Washington, DC or Brooklyn, sort of the other sites that they rotate with, um, it's not the same case. So I, I really love that. I think, you know, Greensboro is always going to have that attention in that moment when the tournament is there, but having it back, knowing that everything sort of fell apart last year, knowing the history right there. Um, I think it'll be like a really sweet homecoming. And, and obviously, you know, I'm biased. It's a 45 minute drive for me versus uh, having to hop on a plane somewhere. It's perfect. You, you finish the game, you go out to eat at Denny's, uh, <laughs> all the lovely options. I'm sure Jim Beheim was not exactly happy about this news moving down there, but I, I guess given the times we're in, it kind of makes sense to yeah. 
to bring things back towards the uh, the ACC office down there. Uh, the season is upon us. I feel like this really snuck up on us here. I mean, it, it feels like we didn't even have schedules until like a week ago. Because we didn't. <laughs> yeah. and, and who knows what these schedules are going to look like. Uh, I mean, some of these schools put out a schedule like like two seconds after the schedule's out. They're already canceling games Correct. early in the season. Um I guess my question is, is it worth playing these non-conference games? I look at this, this list of games and, uh, you know, none of them seem essential this week. This is like classic, uh, you know, early season basketball non-conference games like Radford and Towson and Delaware State. I mean, these aren't games that, uh, you know, just like absolutely need to be played. I'm wondering... Given the current situation we're in, you know, COVID nineteen is skyrocketing across right. the country. You look at the graphs; the, the all the lines are going straight up. Uh, is this necessary to play this right now? And it, it's not necessary. It was never necessary. And trying to play it out this way, I think, was something that was doomed to fail from the start. You know, I, I sort of look at it as um, college football. Everyone criticized for. Uh, you know, okay, are they are they going to play? Are they not going to play? Are they, you know, and, and college football sort of had to figure this out on the fly throughout the summer, had much less time to work with. College basketball had that gift. You know, college basketball had not only the the added however many months, it's been eight months for college basketball to figure out a plan. You know, this, this ruined the end of your season? Okay, well, you've got most of a year to figure out a way to make this work. And you have the benefit of seeing every other sport try different things, some that work, some that don't, and you're able to use that when you're making your decisions. And yet we're at a situation where instead of creating any sort of bubbles, instead of creating these quarantine situations, instead of having, you know, daily testing or, or thrice weekly testing, you didn't have any of that. You, you just had a, well, let's hope this works out. Fingers crossed sort of plan. And as you say, Andy, you know, cases are skyrocketing. There was never a situation where we needed to play the non-conference. It's all for tournament seating purposes. It's trying to create some level of balance. Here's, here's the fact. This is not going to be a balanced year. This is not going to be a fair year. Virginia Tech and Virginia you know, can be separated by however many hours drive, and they may play 10 fewer games than each other. You know, There's a situation where some of these teams are not even going to play 15 games because if you do have a COVID problem, you immediately are going to lose four games. Just lop them right off. They're gone. And, and the ACC schedule also doesn't allow any time for those games to be made up. So um, I know that, that at Duke especially, Duke has really been pushing and was throughout the whole summer. Let's just start January 1st, only do conference games, make it as safe and as feasible as possible to get as much in. And that sort of got overruled. Now we're in the situation we're in today. Um, I would be shocked if even half these non-conference games that are scheduled even end up getting played. Yeah, I always... Uh... When I see teams going in and just like wishing that this is going to happen and not really coming up with a plan, I think of the the Herm, the Herm Edwards. They used to like do videos of him uh, giving like speeches at the rookie symposium and giving this good advice and stuff like that. And when he's talking about goals, he's like, "Well, a, a goal without a plan is a wish." Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. that's basically they're wishing that this is going to work this year. If you had to say, let's put an over under at twenty games, yeah, for some of these teams. Do you think they hit that number? Would no. they be happy with that number? I mean, they, they, I feel like they'd be ecstatic with 20 games. They'd be ecstatic with that number. You know, I think, I, I think honestly, if you set the over-under at 15 games, you might have some people taking the under there. I mean, because because seriously, consider this. It's, it's not just if a player tests positive or if a coach tests positive. If you have some behind-the-scenes basketball staffer test positive, 
because of contract tracing, because of uh, the proximity of the players to everyone in the program, you're going to have to quarantine for 14 days. And assuming you're playing two games a week, you are losing four games. So start at 27 and just slowly work backwards by counts of four. You have one incident, you're down to 23. You have a second incident, now you're down to 19. You have a third incident, now you're down to 15. And, and that doesn't even factor in if some of your opponents have issues. So uh, I really don't see a way that anyone is getting in a full 27. I mean, if anyone gets in a full 27, they deserve a medal, an award. They should be sent to, to Washington, D.C., and they should be allowed to make some federal plans because it's just not going to happen. Coaches that I've talked to are hopeful that they'll get 16 to 18 in, but even that doesn't seem guaranteed. I'll say this. If somebody gets in 27, they're hiding something. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be lauding them. We should be investigating them if they get in the full 27. College basketball uh, doesn't really do investigations. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very good point. Maybe, maybe they'll self-impose uh, sanctions. That seems to be the only way that kind of thing happens. All right, let's, let's quit bumming people out with how, uh, you know, a little odds that the season goes off without a hitch. Let's talk about the actual games. Uh, you know, the ACC wasn't that great last year uh as it have a chance to be better this year it does and i think a lot of that comes from seeing some of your quote-unquote traditional powers um get back to, to sort of the perch that they they previously held obviously north carolina stands out as uh the number one you know member of the conference who who so severely underperformed last year i mean this is a team that last year worst in the conference um you know roy williams the the quote that is famous now is you know this is the least talented team i've ever had and it was you know that team didn't have shooters didn't have slashers it, it was basically two or three guys trying to make everything happen and everyone got hurt it was a disaster and that's not going to be the case unc brings in the second rate of recruiting class in the country acc preseason player of the year and garrison brooks they're going to be better um you know, you look at a team like a Syracuse that probably wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament. They lose their leading scorer in Elijah Hughes, but they bring in a really promising, you know, transfer in Alan Griffin from Illinois. Um, I think they have a really good chance to make the tournament. Miami was destroyed by injuries and depth issues last year. They have a chance to make the tournament. Clemson brings back Amir Sims. He's an all ACC guy. They, they bring in a, a promising freshman class. They have a chance to make the tournament. So I think overall, the, the sort of middle bit of the conference you know those teams in the five through ten range i think a lot of those teams are going to be more competitive than they were last season and i think because of that the conference overall is, is going to be held in a higher light and then obviously um you know duke is going to do duke virginia is going to be virginia leonard hamilton has a cloning lab in florida state he just creates you know six foot nine wings um and north carolina is going to be back to being normal north carolina so i, I think there's a chance that seven or eight acc teams make the tournament this year um it'll certainly be better than it was i don't know if it'll be the best basketball conference there isn't like that elite elite one and done zion level talent um but overall top to bottom i think the conference will be much stronger this year than it was a season ago I read your your preview piece uh, that you did with Matt Gutierrez. You sort of broke it into tiers in the ACC. Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, Florida State in that top tier. Who is your pick uh, to win it of those four? My, my pick is Virginia, and I say that because, one, um, no one, you know, people were all in my mentions yesterday, but no one has proven that they can consistently beat Tony Bennett's pack line. You know, he always figures out a way to dictate – the pace of play, the style of play. He always turns those games, doesn't matter if he has inferior talent, into slogs. I mean, it is a mud-throwing contest. So I think that when you talk about that level of suffocating defense and then they bring in a guy like Sam Hauser, a Marquette transfer, Hauser is basically a better 
He's a better offensive version of what Mamadi Diakite was, and he was Virginia's best offensive option a year ago. So between Hauser coming in, Kihei Clark was playing incredibly well at the end of last season. I think he's a perfect fit in Tony Bennett's system, just a guy who doesn't make mistakes at the point guard position. Um, Virginia is my pick, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if a team like Duke makes a run. They, they bring in the number three recruiting class in the country. They've got all this talent. So um, I would go with Virginia. I wouldn't be shocked if it was Duke. Um, and then North Carolina and Florida State will hang around and make it interesting. Yeah, I think UVA, I went to Wisconsin, so I followed Wisconsin quite a bit. Wisconsin would always be competitive just based on the style that they play, but they could truly be special when they had somebody who could kind of stand out and score on that. And obviously that year they had Kaminsky and and Sam Decker and those guys. I feel like Hauser gives Virginia that element this year, whereas maybe last year they they weren't quite like that uh, in some regards. Uh, You feel bad for Florida State? That last year's team didn't get a chance to show what it could do. I mean, Leonard Hamilton builds this thing up over so many years, and he's had a lot of tournament disappointments. Uh, you know, and last year he just put together a monster of a team. They have two guys going the lottery this year in the NBA. Like, man, I feel like we all just missed out not getting a chance to see that team on the biggest stage. I 100% agree, and I don't think that I'm out of line in any way in saying that they would have been one of the national championship favorites. I mean, you talk about those two guys in the lottery, that's not counting the multiple seven-footers they have. I mean, they, they roll big men off a conveyor belt. Um, and, and that's not factoring in Trent Forrest, who was one of the best guards in the ACC last year, who's a, you know, a veteran guy that they could depend upon. And when you combine that with Devin Vassell and, and with uh, Patrick Williams, I mean, that it had all the pieces. You know, they had the uber-athletic, bouncy sixth man. So um, I feel really bad for Leonard Hamilton because I, I really do think that was probably the best group he put together. They're going to be good again this year. Scotty Barnes, uh, you know, they've got – he's the five-star freshman this year down there. Um, listed as a six-foot-nine point guard, which, you know, is the stuff of nightmares for Roy Williams and Coach K. Um but they're, they're just not going to be as good. They don't have the overall top-to-bottom depth. They don't have the leadership. And um, it's just unfortunate, you know, them along with all the other teams. You know, I, I think about like a Dayton, uh, obviously not on the ACC, but those are special teams that never got a chance to show what they could do. And really there's no way to go back and sort of make that up. Duke and UNC. I mean, these are the this is your bread and butter here on these two teams. Uh, Duke, maybe not as much tournament success as they would like in, in recent years. I'm curious if that changes. And then UNC, uh, you know, six and fourteen in the ACC last year. Not a team that we're used to seeing. Uh, what's the outlook for these two groups? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start with Duke just because you asked about them first. And and I think Duke the past couple of years, everyone has just sort of taken for granted that they've had these lottery level talents. You know, they had the Zion, the the RJ, the Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, Jaleel Okafor, you know, they, they always had that guy. And even last year, Vernon Carey was such a monster, even though he didn't end up going in the first round of the NBA draft. You know, he was someone who was national freshman of the year was just completely dominant. They don't have that guy this year. You know, so it's very much going to be a different look team and something that Coach K hasn't had in the last couple of seasons. They still have great talent. You know, they're bringing back two five-star sophomores and and Wendell Moore Jr. and Matt Hurt. They bring in, you know, six awesome freshmen, four more five-stars. The the talent is there, but it's not that elite, oh, my God, go-to alpha dog sort of talent. You know, it's going to be much more a sum of the parts rather than having one guy who sort of leads the way. Um, And at North Carolina, I think the hallmark this year is going to be can they sort of erase what went wrong last year? You know, injuries are injuries. They're, they're going to happen. They're still dealing with a couple of guys getting healthy before the start of the season. Um, but 
the inconsistency they had, the lack of shooting, the lack of uh, just executing the system that Roy Williams wants to run. They have the deepest front court in the nation this year. Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, um, you know, both guys are, are returning starters. Garrison obviously is the ACC preseason, preseason player of the year. And then coming off the bench, they have two five stars and, and arguably the best freshman on the team, Dayron Sharp. Um, he's a guy who might only play 15 minutes a game. So North Carolina, I think, has the potential to make the greatest turnaround from last year. Um, I think that Duke, it's going to be much more of a progression of that team over the year. You know, they brought back their athletes later than other ACC schools did. Um, they've had less time to prepare, did much more individual work compared to, you know, team scrimmages and five on five. I think they might struggle a little bit more early on, but then by March, we'll be talking about them as a team hitting its stride at the right time. And, and obviously everyone knows how important uh, momentum is when you're, you're talking about March or April or, or May or June or July madness, whatever it's going to be this year. <laughs> yeah. And I'll get you out of here on this question. Last question. Uh, how many teams are going to make the tournament? If it's a normal tournament, how many teams from the ACC do you think make it? And, and is there a team do you think that could surprise in the ACC this year? Absolutely. So, you know, I think that that first tier that we talk about, the Duke, North Carolina, Florida State, uh, Virginia tier, they, they all seem, you know, I'm not going to say anybody's a lot because because anything can happen this season, especially. But those four, I think, are, are pretty much guaranteed to get in. Um, but then on top of that, you know, I, I think Louisville has a really strong case. I think Miami has a really strong case. I think Syracuse has a really strong case. Um, and, and I think that Clemson could make some noise. Miami could make some noise. I, I, I really like Georgia Tech this year. I think they have one of the best pack courts in the league. So I'll go with eight, and I'll say that in addition to that top four, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Syracuse, and Clemson also get into the tournament. Um, but again, that's, that's what I was talking about. That middle tier, those guys are going to be so competitive. Um, you just hope that they don't cannibalize each other and sort of hurt their, their overall chances. But, um, and then for a sleeper team, Georgia Tech. People should look out for them. Uh, Great year to have a postseason ban last year. <laughs> yeah, they timed that well. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think we're all excited to see basketball season start. Like normally early in the season, I don't really care that much, but I'll be interested in seeing how this goes and if they can pull this off this year. I hope uh, for all hopes that they can get it off and play, you know, get get the season going so they can have a March Madness or whenever it happens uh, like normal because that was something that was really missing last spring. Uh, Everybody go follow Brendan on Twitter. He's at Brendan with an A R Marks. Uh, covers UNC and Duke. Are they going to let you into Duke games this year? Or are you going to have to watch those on TV? We'll be watching them on TV for the start of the year. We're we're hopeful that uh, the country will get the virus under control. But again, it sounds like a, a little bit of a wish and less of a plan. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully they'll let you in because uh, I really enjoyed talking to you, and I would love for you to be able to sit courtside at some of those games and get, get a little more insight like that. But I'm sure you're going to get plenty from the TV copy, and I'm sure we're going to be talking to you uh, quite a bit this season about basketball. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Andy. Okay, let's shift back to football now for some quick closing thoughts on this. I wanted to say something about this Clemson-Florida State situation. Uh, boy, did that escalate quickly. <laughs> for those who didn't know, uh, Clemson traveled down to Florida State last week to play a game. Uh, the medical staffs could not agree on a path going forward. A Clemson offensive lineman, or Clemson lineman, I should say, traveled with a team who tested positive after being symptomatic during the week, but testing negative. It sounds like he did not practice earlier in the week while he was being symptomatic, was asymptomatic in the middle of the week, and did practice. Uh, finally had a positive test on Friday after traveling with the team. Uh, that led to some disagreement shall we say about whether the game should be played it ended up getting called that morning when the medical staffs could not disagree 
Bummer of a situation that that game did not get played. I feel bad that Clemson had to travel down there for that. But Dabo Swinney and the Tar Swinney and the uh, Tigers are not doing themselves any favors in the aftermath of this whole thing. Uh, kind of going full wrestling heel turn here. Uh, you know, the, kind of calling out Florida State and saying this game was canceled, not because of COVID, but for other reasons. Uh, I'll be honest. I think Dabo needs to sit down on this one. Maybe maybe sit this one, a couple plays out on this one. Uh, we are in the middle of a worsening pandemic right now. Uh, and you kind of need to read the room on this whole situation. I get it that everybody's upset that a game like this got canceled. Uh, but I think if there's a question by medical staffs about the safety of the players that are in this situation, that you err on the side of caution. I know that's not a popular thing, and everybody's going to say, oh, it doesn't affect anybody in that age bracket. Uh, it does sometimes, and certainly we want to limit the spread of this whole thing. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that uh, the situation comes down. There, there's, a, there's a disagreement. They can't figure it out. I kind of wish the ACC had a bigger role in this whole thing, and uh, maybe to, to mediate these these decisions or be a third party that uh, has a final say in this. But I don't know what you say to a school like Florida State or the doctors on, on one side if they say that they don't think it's safe. Um, it's, it's just kind of a bad situation. Like I said, I think you err on the side of caution in this. They can replay this game. Uh, December 12th is a date that's open. Now Clemson's you know talking big about, oh, we shouldn't have to go down there and things like that. Uh, Andy Staples, my colleague here, was writing about that. There's kind of an interesting situation that could pop up there. Uh, if Clemson doesn't go to Florida State, say they reschedule that game on December 12th and Clemson you know gets in a huff and says they're not going to travel back down there to play that. And then Notre Dame is scheduled to play Wake Forest that same week, uh, right before the ACC championship game, where it's presumed that those two teams will be playing. If, if I'm Notre Dame, I'm like, well, why do I have to play the week before uh, this ACC title game when this other team has a, a de facto bye and can rest up and prepare for it? So uh, this whole thing is a bit of a mess. I think it could have been avoided if the ACC had making, taken maybe a bigger role in mediating this whole thing and, and not leaving it completely up to the schools. Second point here, want to talk a little bit about this Virginia Tech situation. It is getting uglier in hokey land here. Uh, Justin Fuente has lost a good share of the fan base. There's a lot of noise about whether he's lost some of the players as well. I think this is an interesting week to watch in terms of opt-outs or things like that. Uh, we spoke to him earlier this week has said it's nothing more unusual than normal all season. We'll see about that. This is a Thanksgiving weekend where a lot of players are going to be going home. I'll be curious to see if some of those players want to come back because, like a lot of schools, Virginia Tech is going to remote learning after the, the Thanksgiving holiday. A lot of people just aren't coming back to school. And I think in a season that's gone south for them, the Hokies are now 4-5 and five now, 4-4 four and four in the ACC. have lost three straight for the last five uh, a couple heartbreakers in there to Liberty in Miami. Uh, just a complete blowout uh, last week at Pitt by 33 to a Pitt team that was missing 16 players, including seven starters. I, th I think a lot of players will look at that and go, what am I playing for in these final two games? And, you know, they got Clemson coming up. Uh, that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> and they close with UVA. Uh, not exactly an easy game right now. I, th I think it has a lot of people in Virginia Tech talking about that buyout with Justin Fuente. It's $12.5 million now. It drops to $10 million on December 15th. 
that is a very big move to make for a school that's going to have $30 million revenue shortfall at least. Yeah, it was 45 to, mil- 45 to 50 million was the estimate from Athletic Director Whit Babcock earlier in the year. Seems like they've done some things to lower that amount a little bit, but that is a big financial bite to take uh, in the middle of a pandemic like that. Um, I don't quite know if they do it yet. Uh, this is a weird time to be hiring a football coach, but on the flip side is what are you delaying the inevitable? If this thing goes on another year and things don't improve and you find yourself in the same situation with the same buyout uh, a time a year from now, have you set the program back by waiting that long? So uh, I'm not quite sure how this thing plays out. I don't think it's going to go well for the Hokies against Clemson because it doesn't go well for a lot of ACC teams against Clemson. Uh, that would put them at four and six, and, and then you play Virginia at the end of the year. And, you know, if you lose that one, that's two straight losses to the Cavaliers for a school that does not take losing to UVA lightly. Uh, that'd be a four and seven season for a school that does not take finishing sub 500 lightly. Uh, I'm not sure what the bowl situation would be then because everybody's eligible and, you know, the record doesn't really matter. But, man, if you're talking about extending that bowl streak that they love so much, doing so in a, with a four and seven record, uh, kind of seems like cheating to get there. It seems like you're cutting some corners to get there. I don't know how much of a, uh, you know, how much of a source of pride that would continue to be. So, it's an ugly situation. This is a pandemic, uh, and I, I think you can forgive a little bit of things. But you know, one thing that football fans don't like is losing. And Virginia Tech is losing right now at a clip that it's not used to losing at. Uh, and you wonder if at a certain point the donors hit a tipping point there and, and Fuente is cooked. I'm not sure yet, but it's something to watch the rest of the season. Lastly, I just want to run through the ACC slate real quick here. Uh, not a ton of great games. I think we, we talked about the, the Notre Dame-UNC one, which is the, the marquee game off the top. Uh, NC State, 14.5 point favorite at Syracuse. I feel like the Orange are donezo at this point. They look just lifeless in that loss against Louisville last week, like they didn't want to be there. Uh, North Carolina State finishes with Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Could be 8-3, and 7-3 uh, and three in the ACC after holding <laughs> – 8-3 overall after beating Liberty last week by the grace of a blocked field goal at the end. Uh, Liberty and last-second field goals against ACC schools. It seems like it's a thing going on. Uh, not the most impressive 8-3 and three by NC State. They missed a lot of the top teams in the conference and lost to the other teams that have been up there. But, man, you take it. You take an 8-3 and three record, especially when they struggled so much last year. I think NC State probably cruises in that one. Pitt at Clemson. Clemson's a 24-point favorite. Pitt looked amazing last week against the Hokies. They always kind of do in Heinz Field. Uh, I do not think they're going to be throwing against 10, 15 yards of coverage this week, uh, of, of uh, uh, cushion, I should say, this week. Uh, from the defenders on the Clemson side. So I think it's going to be a bit rougher go for the Panthers. Uh, I know that defense is legit for Pitt and shows up every week, but man, they're going to get a ticked off Clemson. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is coming back. Uh, Florida, the whole Florida State fiasco. I'm sure the Tigers are just like angry and gearing to get out on the field. Uh, I don't think this one's going to be very close. I know Pitt uh, beat Clemson in Clemson uh, a few years ago. I, I just don't see that happening here. I think, feel like this Clemson team is going to be out uh, in, and pretty angry in this one. Louisville, Boston College, the Eagles are one-point favorite. I like the Eagles here. Uh, you know, Louisville's lost some guys. I feel like BC has just been a very solid team all year, and, and credit to Jeff Halfley in his first year. I know a lot of first-year coaches maybe have not had much success. It's tough to come in and 
uh, get buy-in with a new team and, and play very well uh, when you're kind of adjusting the new systems. You know, he's in year one, five and four, four and four in the ACC. Played Clemson and Notre Dame tough, uh, which is more than a lot of teams can say. I think BC wins that one. Duke, a one-point favorite at Georgia Tech. Uh, I have no idea in this one. These teams, Duke has not played since November 7th. It had the Wake Forest game canceled and had an open week other than that. Georgia Tech has not played since October 31st. They have not played since Halloween. Uh, the Pitt and the Miami games postponed. So I really have no idea where to go here. I would I would maybe guess in Georgia Tech's direction because they're playing at home. But, uh, you know, if you're a better on this one, I might steer clear of this. And lastly, the Virginia uh, Cavaliers are a nine-point favorite at Florida State. Uh, you know, it was a bummer for UVA to see Charles Snowden, linebacker. His career ended with a broken ankle last week uh, in a game against Abilene Christian uh, of all opponents. Uh, you hate to see that anywhere, but you especially hate to see it happen in a game that, you know, doesn't even need to be out there in a game against Abilene Christian. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have played him or anything like that, but, man, that's just a bummer to see a guy's career end like that. Uh, Florida State, I, you know, they had the fiasco last week. I'm not sure it changes much about their situation. They're still beat up. Uh, you know, quarterbacks, you wonder if all those guys will be ready even in this one. I think that's a team that's hoping for the offseason to get here uh, sooner rather than later. I think UVA wins this one rather comfortably as well. Okay, that's going to do it for another show. I uh, really enjoyed doing this one with Brendan coming on. Uh, thank you so much to him for talking football and basketball. Like I said, this is the ACC and we do both, uh, and certainly coming up with the basketball schedule is going to gear up here. We're going to talk some more hoops over the winter here. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Like I said before, rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. That helps us get the word out. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, come subscribe. What are you waiting for? Uh, you're listening to this podcast. You should come read our writing, too. Our writing is very good. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash pod. There'll be a deal there. Uh, I have no games this week, but I might chime in on Twitter. You can come follow me at AndyBitterVT. Uh, we'll be back next week to do this again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.